Today I was going to begin the series in 1 Timothy, but the time is quickly approaching to nominate new elders. And so the elder board asked me if I would do a message, kind of a topical message, on the role of an elder. Some of you may have been elders before. Some of you may be being considered to be elders this year. And so it's kind of good to know what you're getting into, what you're supposed to be doing, and uh, what is the role of an elder in the church. For those of you who will be submitting names, it's good for you to know um, what kind of people you should be um, you know, nominating or uh, presenting before the elders as a person, a man who you think would be good to lead in this congregation and shepherd the flock here at Calvary Bible Church. And some of you may be thinking at a time like this, oh no, a message on elders. I guess this is my opportunity to sleep. (laughs) Because I am a grandma. I am a mother. I am a high school student. And so I don't need this. This doesn't apply to me. Well, just don't fall asleep yet. This is directly applicable to you and this is why. Elders are men who are mature believers. They are men who have a solid walk with the Lord, who have learned to discipline themselves in prayer, who have learned to discipline themselves in the study of God's Word, who have learned to discipline themselves in ministry, in service, in loving other people. And isn't that what we're all about? We are all supposed to be mature believers who are walking with the Lord, who are disciplined in our prayer lives and our study of the Word and our application of the Word. We are all to know our Bibles well, and we are all to be ready to give an account for the hope that is within us to anyone who asks. And so elders, even though um, they are a certain group within the church, a certain select group of leaders, they are models for the entire church. And so in that way, everything uh, an elder is supposed to be in character, every one of us is supposed to be in character. It's not just a, uh, a, a certain group or supposed to be godly and then the rest of us can be, you know, anything we want. Well, trying to summarize the role of an elder is difficult because this is really an area that is kind of a passion for me. And it's kind of like trying to stuff an elephant into a thimble and it doesn't fit very well. It doesn't matter how much you try, you just can't get very much in. And so today I have decided to look at three different categories that kind of summarize in a general way what an elder is and what he is supposed to do. And these are the three categories. We are going to look at an elder as a model, an elder as a shepherd, and an elder as a target. And that's what we're going to look at today. First, let's talk about an elder as a model. You look at the front cover of almost any magazine at the store and you will see people who are models. People who are paid to model something, clothing, something. Um, they're, they're paid to look good. They're paid to make a, a product attractive or desirable. And most models are beautiful, you know, women or handsome men. Uh, you know, you never see a, a cigarette ad with uh, somebody lying in a hospital bed hooked up to oxygen, dying from lung cancer or emphysema. 
You don't see that because that would not be good for cigarette sales. And so they always have the beautiful blonde and the, you know, square-jawed, handsome, uh, rugged Marlboro man, you know, uh, looking good and having a great time. And even though they aren't smoking, it says Marlboro down there. So you think, well, if I smoke those, I'm going to be good looking and, uh, you know, everything's going to be happy. Well, that's just as far from the truth as could be. But in a similar way, just as models are used to advertise a product, so elders are to be those who advertise Christianity. They are there to make Christianity look good. They are the people who, by discipline and maturity, are giving glory to God in the way that they live their lives. And just as advertising agencies have qualifications for their um, models, so the church has qualifications for elders. And although these qualifications are kind of scattered around in the Bible, the two prominent passages are 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And as you look through the Bible, you'll see all of these different texts about elders to be this, or overseer to be this, or shepherds are to be this. And you might think to yourself, well, you know, Jack, the qualifications aren't really the role. Well, they are a role, and this is why. Because one of the roles is to be a good model, and then what qualifies you to be a good model is if you meet the qualifications. So even though we are going to go into this in great detail eventually when we get to 1 Timothy 3, I want to just read you um, both Timothy and Titus. I've kind of merged the text together. And then you can just listen at the kind of man that God wants to be leading this church and every other church. This is uh, beginning in 1 Timothy. Of course, I will insert Titus along the way. Timothy writes, If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, is a fine work he desires to do. Now, this is like the one uh, subjective um, qualification of an elder. If, you want, if you're going to be an elder, you've got a desire to do it. You can't just say, oh, well, I don't want to be an elder, um, and then just do it grudgingly. No, the first qualification is you've got to have the desire. Not only do you have to meet the qualifications, you have to have the desire. That is the first subjective qualification. Then, he goes on to say, an overseer then must be. And it's important to notice that Timothy, in verses 1 through 7, starts off with this must be, which tells us that the qualifications are not optional. These things have to be characteristic of the man who serves as an elder. And he says he must be above reproach. And Titus says the same thing, above reproach. And Titus also adds, above reproach as God's steward. As God's steward. A steward was one who managed or took care of something that was somebody else's. And in this case, the elder takes care of God's sheep as an under-shepherd. Secondly, he is to be the husband of one wife. Both Titus and Timothy say that. It basically means a one-woman man. A man devoted to the love and nurture of one woman. Third, he is to be temperate. Uh, Titus adds, not self-willed, self-controlled. He is to be prudent, Titus says, sensible. He is to be respectable, Titus says, loving what is good, just, devout. He, uh, both Titus and Timothy mention being hospitable, which means being able to entertain people, have people in your home, open up your house to strangers. 
Seventh there, to be able to teach, is what Timothy says. Titus really goes off on this one. He says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Which tells us, you are not to just know what you believe, but know what you believe enough that you can take somebody to the scriptures and show them why you believe what you believe, to the point you are able to refute those who contradict. Eight, he is not to be addicted to wine. Both say that, both Timothy and Titus. They both say that he's not to be pugnacious. But Timothy says gentle. He is to be peaceable. Titus says not quick-tempered. Free from the love of money. Titus says not fond of sordid gain. Thirteen, he must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. Titus reads, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, Titus adds, how will he take care of the church of God? And the implied answer he is, he can't. And 14, he is not to be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And 15, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So that is basically Timothy and Titus, the two largest concentrated texts just laid out for us. There are other texts, but those are kind of the big ones in the New Testament. And so we ask, why must an elder be all of these things and more? And this is why, simply stated, because he is a model. Because he is to say what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. That sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but that's scary. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Hmm. Do you remember the little parable that Jesus gave in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount? Let me remind you, in Luke 6, 39 and 40, Jesus gives this little two-liner. He says, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? No, is an implied answer. Will they not both fall into the pit? And you could add there, an elder who is not qualified cannot lead the congregation, can he? No. Why? Because whatever pits he's caught in in his own life, he will lead the congregation to fall in those same pits. And Jesus continues, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. And this is why being an elder is serious business, isn't it? I mean, if you're an elder, you need to think about this. Each year when we approach nominating, time to nominate elders, you need to keep this in mind. As you nominate an elder, you need to ask yourself this. Or if you are going to be considered, let's say you are asked to be an elder, you need to ask yourself this, what would the church be like if everyone was like me? That's scary, isn't it? What if they served like I served? And what if they gave like I gave? What if they managed their households like I managed my household? 
What if they love their wife like I loved my wife? And what if their children were all like my children? What would this church be like? Would it be a healthy church, a loving church, a sound church, or something scary? See, an elder is to be a model just like models are on those magazines because people are looking at you because, man, you're setting the pace. You're the lead car. You're out there. I mean, there is no other greater office on earth than being an elder in the church of God. It's a heavy responsibility. You're supposed to say, come on, people, do what I'm doing. And there's three areas that people are to follow you and do what you're doing. One is how you function in the church. As people see an elder in the church, they must see him as above reproach, as temperate, not self-willed, but self-controlled, able to teach, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, not quick-tempered, prudent, sensible, respectable, loving what is good, just, devout. Is that what they see as you serve here? They need to. When the church gathers and they look at elders' life, they need to see him having those characteristics as an example, as a model. Elders, by function, live on the stage. They are on a stage, just like this play is, where everybody looks. Well, they're all looking at you when you're an elder. They model Christianity and either give Christ a good name or a bad name. Secondly, there are to be models in the world. The elder is not one who does the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde routine. He doesn't transform himself into an angel of light on Sunday. And then come Monday, he morphs into a devil, into the evil landlord, into the wicked, conniving, coarse, jesting employee and to the slackered employee who has a, you know, the, the uh, clip in his hand and is always running around but never doing anything. Who's always complaining he's not getting paid enough and he works harder than everybody else. No. He must be above reproach as God's steward. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and snare of the devil. This would also include being just, free from the love of money and respectable in all of his business pursuits. He does not come to church and act like a, a trophy of piosity and then leave to swindle his clients, to give wicked counsel. To do things that would dishonor God at work among his unbelieving peers. And third, he is to be a model in his home. Not only in the church, not only at work, but in his home. When you look at an elder's home, he must be the husband of one wife. A man devoted to one wife. And hospitable. Having strangers into his house. uh, Taking care of people. Keeping his children under control. With all dignity. Having children who will believe. Having children who are not accused of rebellion or dissipation. Because if he can't manage his own household, he cannot manage the household of God. That's what the scriptures say. And these qualifications let us know that the elder lives at home and he loves at home and his Christianity is lived out not only at church where it's easy to be good, you know, for a couple hours, but all week long 
And then after those hard days of work, when you've just been nice to every stranger you have to be nice at in the workplace, then you come home and you're still nice to your wife. You still love her and cherish her and nurture her and grant her honor and live with her as a, you know, in an understanding way as a weaker vessel and are devoted to that one woman who you swore a solemn oath and covenant to in the days of your youth. He absolutely would be not one who struggled with pornography or illicit TV or books. He would be one he would not be one who flirted with other women, who put himself into compromising situations where he might be tempted to break the fidelity of his marriage, either in mind or in deed. He'd be accountable to his wife and transparent and she would know his weaknesses and she would also be his teammate to protect him from his own weaknesses. In addition to that, he would be hospitable. That people who come into his house would see him as kind, as opening his arms. If they were to stay with him for a couple weeks in his household, they wouldn't see a bunch of nagging and, and outbursts of anger and shouting and cold wars and, and all sorts of uh, wicked behavior. They would see, for the most part, godliness, patience. They would see this person instructing his children, encouraging his wife, being an understanding husband and an understanding father. The children would not be sassy and bratty and little disrespectful hellions. In an elder's home. They would revere their parents. And for the most part be submissive to their parents. And you would see the parents devoted to instructing these children. To teaching them the scriptures. To bring God's word into different life situations. A visitor would be able to witness all of these things in a qualified elder's home. Why? Because he has to live out his Christianity at home. If he's qualified to serve in the church of God. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a very, very high calling. A scary calling. And don't get me wrong, the scriptures do not say that an elder, elder needs to be perfect. No one's perfect. It doesn't say that an elder can't yell at his kids sometimes and then have to say he's sorry. That he can't do something wrong and have to apologize and repent of it. That he can't ever have a wicked thought. But his life must be characterized by these things. This is to be what is characteristic. Not always, maybe, but characteristic. That is the norm for his life. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter gives us another little list about elders. In 1 Peter 5... I'm just going to read the first three verses. He says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow heir and witness in the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Now, see that little term shepherd there? That is the word pastor that you see in Ephesians 4.11. God has given some to the church to be pastor teachers. Same word. Your elders are pastors. They are to pastor. 
I am not the pastor, and Carrie is not the pastor, and Brock is not the pastor. We are three pastors among all the other pastors. Pastor Barnfather, Pastor Beckwith, Pastor Bertelson, Pastor Grande, Pastor whatever. That's how God sees him. You need to remember that. He says, you are to pastor or shepherd the flock of God among you. And the reason is, is you can't shepherd somebody's sheep from a distance. I cannot shepherd some other church. Why? Because I don't know the sheep. I'm not around the sheep. I'm not watching the sheep. I can only barely shepherd just some of you because this congregation is so big. But together, the elder board is to each have shepherding, looking over the flock to shepherd God's flock among them, exercising, notice, oversight. That is why elders are called overseers. In other texts, anonymously, an overseer really is what is called an episcopos. An epi means over, to scope out over, to look over. And that's what an elder does. He, he's watching over. He's looking over the flock. He's watching for people who are hurting. He's watching for people who are going astray. He's watching for false doctrine. He's watching to encourage people. He's watching to bring people in. That's what he does. He's a watcher. He's looking out for the sheep. And so each year when you are asked to submit the names of people, you need to remember, you need to submit the names of those who are models in the church, models in the workplace, and models at home. Now the second thing an elder is to be is a shepherd. And I want to develop this further. This is very critical. An elder is a shepherd. He is responsible to feed his sheep. The first and foremost responsibility of the shepherd is to lead his sheep to green pastures. That is to give them the word of God so they can feed on God's truth. That is why it says he must be able to teach, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with sound doctrine, refuting those who contradict. I went to lunch one time with a pastor who, um, we were sitting around in this group of, of men, and, and uh, he knew about our church. You know, ours was the church who, you know, taught the Bible. And, and he, he, he was saying, you know, I, I kind of have a little different, you know, approach to ministry. And it's like, oh, you know, well, what's your approach? Well, we're kind of more event-oriented. We're more into, you know, having a sense of community. Um, you know, we aren't really into, you know, expository preaching and all this theology and doctrine. Um, we're, we, you know, I see myself as having more of a pastor's heart. And it was at then that my carotid artery started <laughs> thumping. And I had to put my hand up so he wouldn't see it. I continued to move slow and calmly. But inside I was thinking, a pastor's heart? What is a pastor's heart anyway? Is it sentimentalism? Is it emotionalism? Is it never hurting anyone's feelings, never refuting somebody who contradicts, never exhorting, rebuking, all of those things, admonishing. Oh. Man, don't you read your Bible? The Bible describes a pastor's heart as first and foremost a heart that is devoted to feeding. Just look it up sometime. Do you remember what happened when Jesus was talking to Peter after Peter denied him three times? Jesus died, buried, rose again the third day. 
In John 21, 15 through 19, this familiar conversation, which we all probably know about. And so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know, remember Peter, you know, he went back fishing. He said, well, Jesus is dead. I guess I'm going to go fishing. So he went fishing. Peter, do you love me more than these things? Probably these fishing nets he's referring to. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, what? Tend my lambs. That word tend means, if you looked it up in the Greek, to feed them. That's interesting. If you love Christ as a shepherd, you will feed his lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. If you were to look up, do a word study on shepherd, what does a shepherd do? He protects from wolves and he feeds the sheep. He takes care of the sheep. And you know, when you're out there all day, most of the time, you're just watching them. You're leading them around. Why? Because they eat the grass down to the roots and so you've got to keep them going into green pastures. You keep feeding them. That's what they need most of. And then, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You're, you're omniscient. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Literally, feed my sheep. People, that is a pastor's heart. According to Jesus, what does a good elder, a shepherd, a pastor do? He feeds the sheep. He constantly gives them spiritual food that they need to survive and draw close to God. The second thing a shepherd does is oversee the flock. And this is why elders are also called overseers. You know, the episcopos, the one who's looking out. You remember uh, in the story of Jesus' birth when the angels came to the shepherds? You remember what they were doing? Luke 2.8 says, And when the angels appear, there were some shepherds doing what? Watching over their flocks by night. Now, what were they watching out for? Why didn't they just go to bed? Because wolves, beasts. And if you look at the scriptures, you find out that the wolves are the false doctrine that creeps into the sheepfold. I mean, we aren't talking about literal wolves coming in here and eating people. We're talking about false doctrine. We're talking about people who come in introducing destructive heresies. And an elder, first and foremost, is to guard these people. He stays up all night. And even though the sheep are clueless, I mean, if you've ever seen sheep, they're pretty dumb. I, was, I used to do a lot of fishing um, in another life. And, uh, and one of the things that I'd be doing is I'd be out there on the stream casting away and I'd look and there'd be a, a sheep herder bringing a sheep down and, and one of them would, would be scared and, and jump. You know, kind of, they're pretty good jumpers. And then the other one behind them would think, whoa, there must be an invisible fence there. <laughs> and they would jump. And pretty soon the next one would come along and jump in the same spot. It was really, it's really amazing. And you're sitting there, they're all just jumping in the air in the same spot, just as if there was a fence there. But there isn't. It kind of helps you understand when you say, you know, are you being a sheep? You know what they're saying. You're just following the crowd. 
And they follow the sheep. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And the shepherd oversees the flock, protecting them from wolves. And this is so critical. Turn to John chapter 10. And uh, this is scary. John chapter 10. Let's see, that is in the New Testament, isn't it? Look at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. So now he gets a little bit more specific. Good thing for us, huh? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find good things to eat. Pastor, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, he doesn't have anything invested, sees the wolf coming, here we go, some false doctrine, and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus' whole point here is this, that the shepherd is one who leads the sheep. He feeds the sheep, and he protects the sheep. The shepherd who lets wolves in and tear the sheep up with false doctrine is not a good shepherd. He is the bad shepherd. If you were to turn to Acts 20, we don't have time, and looked at verses 17 through 21, you find Paul saying, you know, night and day for a period of three years, I did not declare, I declared unto you the whole counsel of God. I mean, I taught you publicly. I taught you from house to house. Why? Because that's what good shepherds do. And he warns them in verses 26 through 32 saying, listen, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. And I want you to know, false men will arise. Wolves will come in from without. And from your own midst, men will arise spreading destructive heresies. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are what? Ravenous wolves. And what does he mean by sheep's clothing? Well, as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, you know, there's one material you make clothes with that you happen to have a lot of. Wool, right? And so shepherd's clothing is wool. And he says they come to you dressed in shepherd's clothing. That is, they look like shepherds. They look like leaders. They look like they know what they're talking about. But inside... They are ravenous wolves, not literally devouring you, 
and eating you, but devouring you with false doctrine. And he says, beware of them. Beware of them. In many churches today, the wolves are not only out there, they're invited to come in and dine on the sheep. I was in a denomination that had false teachers welcomed into their national conference. I couldn't believe the person they had come speak. So I thought, man, I do not want any of my sheep going to this. So I wrote them a letter. I said, I know, how can you have this guy as your main guy? I mean, look at him. Look, you know what he teaches? And I list all of these things and scriptures next to him showing how they're wrong. And you know what they said? You are divisive. You are doctrinally picky. You are judgmental. You're legalistic. Why? Because I would not tolerate my sheep being exposed to false doctrine. You ask me, Jack, what's the big deal? Well, listen to Hebrews 13, 17. This is the big deal. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, overseers, as those who will give an account. Uh, That is why. Someday I am going to stand before God and every other elder who ever serves in this church will stand before God and give an account to God for how they have watched over your souls. You know, it's scary being the president of IBM, I imagine, of maybe being the president of the United States. You know, it might be a responsibility to be over a country to be over a big corporation, to handle huge amounts of finances. But it is nothing compared to watching over the souls of men, women, and children. This is a weighty responsibility. And every elder needs to understand that responsibility and feel the weight of it. He will give an account for how he has shepherded the sheep. You think to yourself, there's nothing wrong with going to you know, some sort of uh, aberrant thing as you're a Christian. You know, I mean, I know I'm a leader, but, you know, I could do this. I mean, you know, I'm mature enough to handle it. But all these sheep are watching you. And you may be leading them down that path. And as an overseer, you may see sheep going there. You know, you have a daughter. And she's a teenage daughter. She has teenage friends. And she's going to go to the beach um, at midnight to go grunion hunting. Uh, I like to tell people in Idaho about that, and they look at you. So you're telling me these fish swim up to the beach in the full moon. They said, you know, I've been snipe hunting before. Yeah. And you tell, really, really, they do. And you just pick them up. Sure. And let's say you have this teenage daughter. She wants to go grunion hunting. She wants to go down to the beach. And uh, with some friends. Some other teenage friends. There's no adults there. Now, there's nothing wrong with going grunion hunting. There's nothing wrong with going to the beach. And there's nothing wrong with their going at night. But there's partiers down there. There's some bad people down there. You've got some young men down there whose hormones are often stronger than their brains. (laughs) Now, are you going to let your daughter go down there? Even though technically it's fine. No. No. Why? Because you love your daughter too much to put her into a circumstance where she might compromise her faith. And even though she may be angry, and even though she may bite and snarl at you, (laughs) and be angry with you, you're going to tell her no. Why? Because you love her. 
And oftentimes as an elder, you will shepherd the sheep and they will not understand. And they will kick you and they will bite you. And that brings us to the point that we don't have time for. But in the second service, they're going to hear it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, I just thank you that you have given this church some great elders. Men of conviction, men of passion, men who want to serve you with a whole heart and a willing mind. Father, we just ask that as we again approach another year, that every elder who is called on the board would meet your qualifications and that they would shepherd the flock of God, being both a model and a good shepherd, that they would be willing to lay down their life for the sheep out of love and devotion to you and them. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.